Hello and welcome to The Lowdown, an insider's look at stories touching our lives here on Cape Cod and beyond. My name is Ira Wood, and you're listening to us on WOMR 92.1 FM Provincetown, WFMR 91.3 FM Orleans, and streaming worldwide on WOMR.org. A recent article in the New York Times calls attention to the fact that about 30% of Americans identify as having no religious connection. Some say they believe in God, some find the divine in nature, while others cherry-pick practices from various traditions, but none of them attend religious services regularly or include religion in their lives. As a person who is proudly connected to his Jewish heritage, but not to Judaism as an organized religion, I've jokingly written off my condition as lacking the God gene, which is an entire topic for another show. But I sometimes lament that in foregoing religion, I'm denying myself thousands of years of wisdom about bringing goodness into our lives and justice into the world, not to mention community. To address this situation, I've turned to a clergyman from my own tradition, but one who has admittedly had an evolving commitment himself. Rabbi Michael Strassfeld is the author and editor of many books, notably a widely known series called The Jewish Catalog. Before his retirement, he was a congregation rabbi in New York City. Today we're talking about his latest book, Judaism, Disrupted, a spiritual manifesto for the 21st century. Rabbi Strassfeld, thank you so much for talking with us today. Well, thank you for welcoming me, and and, uh, I look forward to the conversation. So, first of all, what exactly do you think is going on? In spite of the fact that we hear so much about the vast evangelical movement in the United States, there are about an equal number of Americans that don't affiliate with any religion at all. In your opinion, why is that? As, as you say, I think the you know this increasing number of nuns, none of the above. I think it's partly it's it's a reflection of the. Challenges of modernity, which um, challenged lots of the 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 beliefs and the faith systems of traditional religions, and I think it's also that we live in um, very disruptive times. <clears throat> Hence the uh, title of the book, and uh, I I think um, people have begun looking <clears throat> elsewhere than in. Uh, traditional religions for the answers to the deepest questions and the biggest challenges to their life. And in some ways, I wrote the book because I think there are lots of Jews that think there's very uh, little within the within the tradition, within within synagogues, um, and um, like you you said about yourself, um, some define themselves as spiritual and not re- religious, and some define themselves out of all, all those categories. Maybe they consider themselves cultural, culturally Jewish. Your book, to my mind, is actually relevant for Christians as well as Jews because it deals with a modern reading of the Torah, which is the first five books of what the Christians know as the Old Testament. You maintain that the Torah is timeless, that is, each generation can read it to help shape its response to the issues and challenges of its time. Can you unpack that for us? Sure. I think it's that's a really important <clears throat> excuse me, that's a really important understanding in my Judaism. And I would say 
um, broadly in uh, what people call liberal Judaism, that the the Torah, uh, while it's a Torah that you know comes from 3,000 or so uh, years ago, and has been uh, held uh, as precious by the Jewish people, uh, that our understanding of of it continues to unfold, and that um, really. I think the essence of uh, Judaism is an engagement with that ancient text. So we, we read that text every week in, in synagogue um, because it, we, we do think it's relevant. We want to be challenged by it, but we also bring ourselves um, to that text and our own concerns and our own um, modern ways of thinking about things. And it's really in the interaction between the ancient text text and the contemporary moment that I think the Judaism for the 21st century needs to be and will be created. So many of the teachings that you talk about come from the Hasidic movement. Today, when many of us hear that word, we think of Orthodox Jews from Borough Park in Brooklyn, but they're not what we're talking about. Can you explain what the Hasidic movement was about? Sure. It, uh, it was the origin of the, of the Hasidim. <clears throat> you talked about live in Borough Park today, but it began in the 18th century in Eastern Europe. And, and it's, at that time, <clears throat> time, it was in many ways on the cutting edge of Jewish life. It was challenging the, the establishment, we would say today, but uh, it was challenging the way that uh, Jews observed and practiced Judaism, and it suggests that even while it maintained basically the traditional practices, it shifted the emphasis, and the emphasis was less on the commandments, which was the classic rabbinic notion, to um, emphasizing the importance of intention. And it really um, is a form of spiritual practice that is uh, is origin you know it, it has existed um, for centuries in Judaism and um, therefore I think for me and other Jews it's it's an authentic form of Jewish spirituality and it isn't just that we even when we find important teachings in American Buddhism and <clears throat> contemporary mindfulness practices, to find within Judaism um, a, a, a similar practice of, of spirituality that, um, that comes out of a, an authentic Jewish past. So the book of Exodus is the origin story of the Jewish people. And because a huge number of Christians as well as Jews observe Passover in some way, the story has meaning for many, many people. So I'd like you to talk about the significance of the story, how it resonates for all of us in modern times, and why you write that the memory of persecution is intended to affect how we live our lives. Sure. Uh, it's a great question. I, I think in Passover, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> sorry, um, Passover is, is just one example of how the various holidays in the in the Jewish festival cycle are <clears throat> are intended to bring our int- intention 
to an important element in our lives and, and in truth, the lives of every human being. So Passover is focusing uh, on a number of things, but particularly about freedom, right? It is, we retell the story of the of the slavery of the Israelites in Egypt and the exodus to freedom. And in uh, a teaching I, I, I bring in the book that is central to the whole conception of the book by a, a Hasidic master of the 19th century, the Svat Emmet, as he was known, says that the, all of Torah, that is all of, of the Bible, is only about one thing. It's about freedom. And, and what he means by that is that what Judaism is, is supposed to help us do is to live our lives as freely as possible, which doesn't mean libertarianism, do whatever you want, um, free to do whatever you want, but rather that, well, we want to free ourselves from the things that keep us from, from uh, uh, reaching the fulfillment that we would like in our lives. So whether it's being, uh, being filled with anxiety, whether it's uh, I'm, I'm never satisfied because I'm always jealous of what I, I think other people have, all those things get in the way of our happiness, our way in our way of feeling generous to other people, uh, uh, ungrateful for the blessings in our lives rather than feeling ungrateful. And, and so <clears throat> Judaism and its wisdom and practices is supposed to help us be more free, um, more able to <clears throat> make the choices that uh, we really want to make or change our lives in the direction that is closer to the, the vision that we, we have for ourselves. Um, and so Passover becomes a week of focusing on this uh, idea of freedom uh, and hopefully carrying some <clears throat> insights and practices from that week into the rest of the year. If you're just joining us, you're listening to The Lowdown with Ira Wood on WOMR. Today we're talking about changing religious practice to meet the challenges of modern times. My guest is Rabbi Michael Strassfeld. His new book is Judaism Disrupted, a Spiritual Manifesto for the 21st Century. When people think about Torah or the Old Testament or Holy Scriptures, they often think about everything we're commanded not to do. But you tell us that Torah is first and foremost about freedom, about potential, about the awareness of what life can be. Where do you find that in the Torah? In what stories? I, 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 think, I think it's, it's, it's everywhere, right? So just go back for a moment to the story of the Exodus, right? It's making a fundamental statement that that uh, things can really change, that things can, can radically change. There probably is no greater change than going from being a slave to, to being free. And, and so it's setting out the, the possibility of, of change. And uh, in an interesting moment in that story, uh, the, the episode where Moses uh, sees a burning bush and has a revelation from God, <clears throat> and God's telling Moses, you know, here's here's your task. You have to go uh, back to Egypt and 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 help free the 
uh, lead the Jewish people to freedom. So Moses says, uh, who has some reluctance about this, uh, the job, uh, he, Moses says, well, who should I tell uh, Pharaoh and, and the Jewish people? Who, who is this God that's sending me? And um, God responds, as, responds not the way you, you, think, you might think that God would respond, say, I, I am the God of your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, which would be the familiar uh, way of that Moses might think about such a God. But instead, God, God says, Hebrew, which I'll translate, yeah, I share a yeah. I will be what what I will be, which suggests that God uh, is a God of change. God, God's self is changing. And in that sense, I think one of the ways that <clears throat> human beings are like God, uh, which we uh, get from the creation story in Genesis, is that all human beings are created in the image of God. And I think one way is that we are in that image is that we have the potential to change and that we are called upon to change, to improve ourselves and to continue to improve the world. And, and we, have been, we have become the ongoing co-creators of, of the universe. Uh, and it's our responsibility now to, to, um, to continue um, the work of creation to continue to try and bring caring and compassion and ultimately peace to this world. Key, um, one of the key concepts of the book is that you mention that there are 11 core principles. And of course, we don't have time to go into all of them, but they mostly involve modern interpretations of story we know. And and I'm really um, fascinated by what you've done with the story of Adam and, Adam and Eve, and, and particularly the fact that you say that when you talk about their expulsion from the Garden of Eden, you say it's not really a punishment for sexuality, which is commonly taught, but you say it's the beginning of confronting the fact that we're human beings, the beginning of living as human beings. Can you talk about that? Sure. I, I, what I, uh, <clears throat> I asked, I ask in the book um, is, well, what would have, what would it have meant? if they didn't eat of the apple, right? Would they have stayed in this garden where uh, they didn't have to worry about food? Apparently, they didn't have to worry about clothes. Maybe the temperature was okay. And, and you know, what would that life have been, have been like? And, and would it have really been um, what we might call life? Because... Uh, if there were <clears throat> no uh, ability to make choices, um, if there was nothing wrong in the garden, then how would you ever know what is bad and what is good? Um, and I think right from the beginning, um, we're told in the, <clears throat> the story of Genesis that um, this is a God created a moral universe. And at the end of each day of creation in the first chapter, God says about uh, the day, Kitov, it, it is good, it was good. 
God doesn't say, I finished that day. I, oh, today I created the sun and moon. That's done. Check it off the list. Right? Good isn't a, an objective quality. It's a subjective quality. Um, and I, I've, my reading of the story is that we, we, the Adam and Eve needed to uh, eat of the tree to become fully human. That is, with the ability to choose, um, hopefully to choose good. But once you have that choice, you know inevitably that sometimes um, people will uh, make, make the wrong choice. Um, and in that sense, um, the story is uh, about um, really becoming fully human and uh, entering into the world with the challenge then, as I said a moment ago, of to strive to make the world uh, even better than it is at this moment, at any moment. You made this wonderful point in which you said that had they stayed in the Garden of Eden, and not eaten of that fruit. They would have remained naked. They would not know what good and bad is. In fact, they wouldn't have become human. They would have remained just like the animals. Right. And, you know, there's an interesting place in this story after, uh, you know, after they, they eat, you know, they eat of the apple. And um, <clears throat> it says in the text that they knew they were they were naked, and and they made clothes. And from there, there there are interpretations that this is really all about sexuality, which they seem to be unaware of until they ate. But but I I, I like the next thing that happens in the the story that that um, God goes looking for them, and they're hiding in the in the garden, and 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 you know finds them and, and asks Adam, why are you hiding? And Adam says, oh, uh, I was embarrassed because I was naked, right? So again, some people see that as about sexuality. But I noticed he's not, he's not naked. The verse right before that said they made clothes. And what happens here is here is the moment uh, that we see what it means to be human. That is, there's a disconnect between reality and how we experience reality or how we think about reality. So he thinks he's naked, but, but he's only naked because he's embarrassed because he ate of the tree and he feels like he did the wrong thing. In reality, he's wearing clothes, but that doesn't get through to his consciousness. And that is, in, in some ways, the deepest definition of what it means to be a human being where there's, there's, a, there's a difference between the reality of the world and how we experience the reality and how we talk about the reality and how we create our own reality in our heads. And that is definitely an intrinsic part of the story of humankind. If you're just joining us, you're listening to The Lowdown with Ira Wood on WOMR. Today we're talking about making religion relevant again. My guest is Rabbi Michael Strassfeld. His new book is Judaism Disrupted, a Spiritual Manifesto for the 21st Century. We usually equate awareness practice with Buddhism. You tell us that Judaism actually has many awareness practices, but they're couched as rituals, which 
often become rote, as in, quick, say the blessing for the bread and wine so we can eat. How do you suggest we use rituals to deepen our awareness? As you said, for me, it's it's in, uh, really important <laughs> to see that category, which, as I mentioned earlier, uh, I think a lot of people feel disconnected and uninterested in, in many of the Jewish uh, rituals, see them as archaic or meaningless, to connect them to this sense of uh, awareness and mindfulness. Um, and um, it's not just that that is part of the language of contemporary spirituality, but as we began talking about uh, Hasidism, there is a tradition within Judaism and and I think it's important here to shift the emphasis from um, just doing the commandments or the rituals to uh, to having intention to connect them to something important. So one example I like to to use is uh, there's uh, a r- ritual to uh, have it's called uh, mezuzah in Hebrew. It's a a little box that has a, a a piece of the of the Bible written on parchments uh, inside, and you're supposed to put it on the doorpost of your your home. Some people put it on, on every every doorway in, in in their home, not just the one leading outdoors. And what happens? And I, I think many Jews, even people who are not very traditional, have uh, uh, such an object. But once they put it up. They never pay attention to it. It just become like wallpaper. So I suggest a, a new ritual, which is to take a moment, um, the moment uh, when you're about to leave your home for the day, um, to go to work or, or whatever it, it is your day to be like. But there is, there is a, a transition from this space of home to outdoors or to, to work. Um, and to take a moment uh, at, at that doorpost, uh, perhaps looking at this mezuzah as, as a focus of intention, and to create a, um, a spiritual intention for the day, so that you say to yourself, you know, I, I need to make sure I take my keys and my cell phone and a spiritual orientation to the day. And that spiritual orientation could be, um, you know, even though I live in a city, I want to make sure I pay attention to, to nature and, and see some of the trees that I'm, I'm passing. Or it could be, I know I have uh, this afternoon what I think is going to be a really difficult meeting, and so I want to take an extra measure of patience with me when I leave today and carry it into that meeting, and hopefully that will make the meeting somewhat better than I anticipate. Right? And 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 so it's um, it's taking a traditional object, but um, creating a, a practice around it that s- sets a spiritual intention for the day. Um, and hopefully, you know, it, it. some days it makes a difference. Some days it reminds you to pay attention to nature or it m- reminds you to be grateful for some of the blessings in your life that you kind of just take for granted because just, you know, you always have lunch. You don't think about how many people, you know, don't know if they're going to have a, a meal tomorrow. Um, and so whatever it is of 
gratitude, of uh, remembering to be generous, remember to pay attention to the wonders of nature. Um, it's to orient your day, still doing all the things that you need to do, but still have that moment of, of connection to spirituality, connection to the universe, the connection to the oneness that underlies all creation. These new practices that you talk about in the book speak to me in a way that my Jewish upbringing in the 1960s never did. Why, why the difference? Why did the conservative synagogue say of my childhood feel so distant and rigid? What's different now? Well, I think probably what I said, there was an emphasis which goes, you know, back, you know, hundreds of years that the emphasis was on doing the commandment, doing the ritual. And so the focus was, oh, well, you know, if I'm lighting the, the candles for Hanukkah, you know, how exactly do I do that? Um, you know, do I put them this way and light them that way? How long do they have to burn, et cetera, et cetera? And what got lost in that emphasis was the why. Why are we lighting these candles, right? Oh, it's to remind us of this the story of Hanukkah and the, and the miracle, you know, oh, and, you know, why is that important? You know, it happened a long time ago. Well, it's also uh, about freedom. It's also, um, it's not happenstance that it takes place, Hanukkah takes place along with many other holidays and in, 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 uh, other traditions at the, at the, in December, which is the darkest time of the year, at least in the Northern Hemisphere. And and so not surprising that almost all those traditions have an element of candles bringing light, bringing light into the darkness, right? So, um, so then Hanukkah become, isn't just some nice story to tell children or, oh, it's great because kids get presents, but it, it touches upon something really important about darkness and light, and and how do we bring light uh, into this world, and how do we bring light into our lives? And and I think that the, over time, there was just a disconnect between um, these rituals and what they they might have meant, or or even what they could could mean. I mean, some of the rituals need to be reinterpreted. And some of the rituals just need to be connected to their original meaning rather than we just do them because, you know, the, the famous <clears throat> play of Fiddler on the Roof, they sing this whole song about tradition. We do them, these, uh, we do these things just because it's tradition. And when they finally say, you know, well, yeah, but why do we do them? You know, and they ask the rabbi in the, in the play, he said, well, we don't know. It's just tradition. And I don't think that works anymore in this modern world. I don't think we just do it because it's tradition, because our ancestors did, because of nostalgia. Um, there's too many other choices in life. Um, and I think in that sense, Judaism needs better answers. But I believe, actually, Judaism has those answers. It doesn't, it's, uh, they're there. Um, as I say, some things need to be re reinterpreted, but but I, I think the 
answers of the wisdom are there. It's just been obscured um, by uh, centuries of focusing on the element of doing and rather than um, why we're doing it, what's the intention that we're supposed to have. Okay. I think we're going to leave it right there. I want to thank you very much. Much. My guest today has been Rabbi Michael Strassfeld. I want to thank Matthew Dunn for his tech work on the show. Judaism Disrupted has recently been published by Ben Yehuda Press. This is Ira Wood with the lowdown on changing Judaism to meet the name, the needs of today, one interview at a time. Bye for now. Thank you.